Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Good afternoon on a beautiful Thursday and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. I'm joined as always by producers Jihei Wiley and Armani Buckets. How are we doing on this glorious Thursday? I mean, I feel like we should be, uh, I guess, grateful if you're a Laker fan. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you win a game, you should be grateful. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I still get excited on Lakers Clippers game day, so I'm excited today. I, even though both teams are kind of whatever, but <laughs> this is uh, still the Lakers versus the Clippers. Yeah, it, it, and I'm glad that this. I guess you can call it a rivalry. I'm super bummed that these two teams have not met in the playoffs. I remember uh, there's there's been a couple of times where they've had a couple of cl- close calls. I mean, the one that it, the year it should have happened, but it would not have been the same, was when both teams were in the bubble in Orlando. Uh, obviously, it was supposed to be the Lakers and the Clippers in um, – I believe it would have been the conference finals. I, I, I'm trying to remember when that would have been they would have met. But anyways, the Clippers were up 3-1 in that series, lose to the Nuggets. So it is the Nuggets who played the Lakers. And uh, we've just never really gotten that matchup in the postseason. And quite frankly, it wouldn't have been the same if it was in the bubble in Orlando in front of no fans. But I'm hoping we do get that, you know, because it does seem for whatever reason, when the Clippers were good, when they had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre, the height of Lob City, the Lakers were terrible. They did not even make the playoffs. And then now that the Lakers are good, the Clippers are hurt, I mean, it just would be nice to get both teams good. But you're right, buckets, when the Lakers and Clippers meet, regardless of who's playing, it is fun. This is a little tempered, obviously. No LeBron James. He's still dealing with his – Knee problems, no Kawhi, no Paul George. Um, yeah, listen, I'm excited, but as you can tell on the sound of my voice, I'm not super pumped up because this is not what we hope that it will be and what it could be next year, right? Like if Kawhi and Paul George come back, if LeBron's healthy again, if Anthony Davis is back to 100%. But right now, both of these teams below 500, they're in that play-in tournament. How do you see the game playing out tonight? I think it's going to be a very ugly basketball game, uh, yeah. to say the least. But for the Lakers' sake, if they can just manage to find ways to win games. Last night against Portland, the Blazers shot 20 more shot attempts than the Lakers, which, I mean, almost always seems to spell a victory for the team that shot 20 more times. But somehow, the Lakers are able to hold them under 100 points and win a basketball game. So... I still I think that it's going to be an ugly basketball game like the Blazers game was, but the Lakers, I think, are starting to at least see that Anthony Davis that we we knew from back before this season, before he was. Um, I forget the nickname that they gave him, but all uh, it was something dealing with street clothes. But he's <laughs> he's coming back to um, being himself again, so it's good to see that. Yeah, gee, I mean, I I think this is sort of a game where when you're when you're not having championship aspirations, as I don't think both of these teams do, you're you're kind of fighting for the bragging rights. This reminds me a little bit of USC, UCLA, when both teams are not doing that well. It's like, well, at the very least, we'll be the team of Los Angeles going into t- tonight's game. The Clippers are twenty six and twenty seven. 
The Lakers are 25 and 27. Again, both teams below 500. Do you think your Clippers can be the team of Los Angeles? I mean, if LeBron is still out, then heck to the yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I-, I think this team has what the Lakers do not right now. And that's, you know, they play as a team, they play as a unit, they play as one. So I think that that's definitely going to help them in the long run. And also, you know, yeah, you're right. This is for bragging rights because Clippers have always been the stepchild of the NBA Los Angeles world. So, and it's just, it's unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's always going to be that way. Um, I've come to accept this as a Clipper fan, I think for well over, uh, well over 20 years. 20, 30 years I've, I've been a, a Clipper fan. So like, I, I think that Clippers have definitely more of a chance to, uh, to, to win this game in my personal opinion, because they play as a unit. Now, if AD to uh, Armand's point comes out and balls out, then we'll see, we're going to see a little bit more of a close game. Did, um, did anybody look at the odds for this? Yeah, so the odds opened up at two and a half. It's now up to three and a half for the Clippers. The Clippers are favored to win this game. Um, you know, that makes sense. I mean, this that this Clippers team does play as a unit. And so they have not, uh, you know, listen, they don't have Paul George. They don't have Kawhi. No one's expecting them to do a whole lot. Wouldn't be shocked if they made a move at the trade the deadline, not really to improve the team, but more towards like, you know, trying to, you know, put together a team for next season. The Clippers, by the way, for whatever it counts, is the home team tonight. So they will be playing on the Clippers' home floor in front of the Clippers fans. So, uh, yeah, Clippers uh, right now three-and-a-half-point favorites in Las Vegas. I mean, you know me. I love that hook. So yeah. I, I'll take, I would take that all day. I would prefer the two-and-a-half. But you know what? I'll, I'll take what Vegas gives me and take that three and a half. If you know, if that's the case, if if they can get it to that, yeah. So I mean, they, they this is a, it really it goes without saying a must win for both teams. The L- Lakers currently have a three game losing streak against um, the Clippers. So you know, uh, we'll we'll see if they can turn the tide. Because here's the thing: both of these teams are going to be in the play-in tournament. There is a huge drop off between these two teams and uh, Portland and there's no way the Pelicans are going to sneak into that 10 spot. So, you know, they've really been helped by the fact that the league still has this play in tournament. They will have the opportunity once the season is over, effectively things get reset as Russell Westbrook said, you're zero and zero. The Lakers do have the ability to maybe some way, somehow turn around their season. And Darmani, you still think that like when you're watching that game last time, and it's a close game late. And Portland's not that great, but these are games that 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 the Lakers have lost this season. You know, they're playing a below five hundred team. Uh, it's a tight game late, and they just find a way to lose. The, now, last night, not only did they find a way to win, Carmelo had a big night. And so, you know, does that continue to give you confidence that there is a glimmer of hope that this team can turn things around this season? The the glimmer of hope is all up to LeBron James's knee right now because everything that the Lakers want to accomplish is predicated on the fact that they need LeBron to play like he's the best player on the planet, which honestly, you know, I think that he he was doing that, but the thing is that it wasn't happening with Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time. So if they can get those guys healthy at the same time, I really believe that 
I mean, do we think that anybody in the Western Conference truly wants to see those two at full force in a best of seven? Personally, yeah. I don't think so. But the, the goal for this team is still, I know they're three and a half behind the six seed, but they need to find a way. They still have 30 or so games left. If they can just have like a five game win streak, which is asking a lot for this team, I understand they can still find a way to to manage to get out of the playing tournament, which should be the goal. But I don't know if that's realistically possible. I mean, we're we're not even in. Uh, sorry, Rush, but we're not even in. We're not even near um, the All Star break either. So, like, let's you know maybe pump the brakes. And I, I think that this team can still. We we still have like well, a little glimmer of hope, right? I think there is this view that the all-star break is the midway point, but that's not really the case anymore. I mean, we're over 50 games into the season. The Lakers are 25 and 27. The Clippers are 26 and 27. So you do the math. There's only after the night, like we had 29 games left. I mean, so we're, 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 we're well past the midway point of the season. I do think that if the Lakers can get LeBron back and he was playing so well prior to him being hurt and I was lucky enough to be in the building in Brooklyn and I kept saying like okay I mean this is the best that they've looked all year you know you got LeBron you got Russell Westbrook you got Anthony Davis I mean if these guys can begin to kind of do what we thought that they could do at the beginning of the season maybe just maybe they have a run in them um I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong. Of course. I mean, I, I, I was so optimistic a year ago when they kept losing and, and they were not favored to beat the Suns in the first round. I said, well, you know, listen, like, I think if, if, if they can get right and it looked, <laughs> it looked in that series like they did, um, they can turn things around. I just don't see it happening. I think at this point in the season, you're, you you played more than 50 games. You played 52 games. I, I think at this point, you know what kind of team this is. And you talk to guys that are around that team, and it, they just don't see a turnaround happening. Not saying it can't happen, but it's not looking likely. We'll see what happens tonight. It should be fun again. Anytime the Lakers play the Clippers, and I do believe it's the first time the Lakers are facing the Clippers in the hallway series at the newly named crypto.com arena. So that'll be fun. Um, do have to get into a little bit of the Super Bowl again. We have a whole week to cover it, and we'll be there on site at the Super Bowl on Radio Row. But um, we got to find out what jerseys they're going to wear. And it, it's, it's hilarious, but this is what the league does. Uh, you know, one year – the, 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 the um, NFC is the home team, and the next it's the other conference. So the Cincinnati Bengals are the home team at SoFi Stadium. It makes no sense. I get it. The, you know, SoFi Stadium is the home uh, stadium for the Rams. Not only that, because Cincinnati is going to be in the Chargers' home locker room and the Chargers' home sideline, the Rams are in their home stadium, in their home locker room, on their home sideline. And because the Bengals picked – their black jerseys. Uh, they they wanted to wear their home black jerseys. The Rams got to pick their, um, in my view, really classic looking modern throwback, which is probably the, the most popular home jersey. I mean, so this is, in so many ways, going to have the look and feel of a home game for the Rams. Um, the line hasn't really uh, flipped too much. It's still around four. Uh, Ga, I mean, I, I do think this is going to be like a home game for the Rams. And even to those who say, well, there's not going to be a ton of 
of Rams fans. Well, that wasn't the case during the conference championship game. So they're, they're used to this. They're used to the whole thing. And, and they are going to be in town the entire week. They're going to sleep in their own beds. The Bengals are actually going to get in Tuesday. Uh, there was a thought that, you know, because of COVID, things like that, they're going to come in late, but they're going to come in Tuesday morning. So this is really going to have the look and feel of a normal Super Bowl week. Again, a year ago, we didn't have that. This is definitely going to have the look and feel of a full week here in Los Angeles. And fun fact about those jerseys, Arash, last time that the Rams won a Super Bowl, it was in that um, color scheme that they are currently in right now. So um, this might bode well for them. That line might have to change a little bit if you look at that (laughs) fact um, up there. But you you know what? All in all, this this is just, again, boding well for the Rams because I think they've played in an environment where they've had the home crowd. They haven't had the home crowd. They, like those ups, those downs, those like inconsistencies. The only thing that's consistent is this um, momentum shift that they're that they're experiencing right now. And I think that the way that these guys are coming together and they're clicking – uh, I, I mean, they should be the favorite. It, I mean, Vegas is right by favoring them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm psyched for them. They're, I'm, I guess I'm kind of bummed that uh, Cincinnati isn't going to be like Kansas City last season uh, where they, they showed up, like, what, the day before, or like two days before yeah. for, for um, press day and uh, didn't really get a lot of rest and uh dealing with injuries and stuff like that. I mean, I, I do also love the, I love this matchup. I love this matchup for the Rams. I love, I mean, we're, we'll get into it more in depth as the week, um, as the Super Bowl gets closer to us, but I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to this matchup that the Rams have against, uh, the, the Bengals because it just looks more along the sides of favoring the Rams. Oh yeah. And, and this, this is a big change from the last time the Rams were in the Super Bowl because they had to go up against, the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and you know, could the 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 young Rams, you know, like how are they they going to fare? I mean, now that they're going up against a team where there's only one player on the Cincinnati Bengals that has any Super Bowl experience. This is a very young team. They were the worst team in the league a couple of years ago. No one expected them to be in this position right now. So, I mean, clearly the Rams are the favorites, but they got to close the deal. And I and I and I've said. As soon as that game was done, they have one more win. They 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 need one more win. When you talk about the city of Los Angeles and trying to gain their love and their trust and and making the the, the Rams, you know, Los Angeles's team. When you you talk about them joining the Lakers and the Dodgers in terms of you know beloved franchises in Los Angeles, you have to win. You have to win. And and, and so while it's great that they're in the Super Bowl, it's great also that the Super Bowl is happening in Los Angeles because the city of Los Angeles feels like they're a part of it. They can go to the experience. They can go to the parties. They can go to different things around town. They can drive by SoFi and see the sign and the logo and all these things. I mean, so they really feel a part of it. Whereas, of course, a couple of years ago when the Rams were in Atlanta, not that many fans traveled to Atlanta for the game, and it was a ton of Patriots fans. I remember it felt like a road game for the Rams. So this will be fun. It'll be a fun week in Los Angeles, a fun week previewing the game. Um, Another massive story in the National Football League, Brian Flores' lawsuit against the league. Again, we've talked for many years about – 
you know, the lack of black head coaches in this league. And someone tweeted out the other day that we're going to get to a point right now where we're going to have more black Supreme Court justices than black head coaches in the National Football League. And that's that there's no excuse for that. And Brian Flores, you know, effectively admitted that he could have he, he could be ending his career um, as a coach. And um, it's a very there's a very much a country club like feel to the, the National Football League and the owners and the GMs. And, and they, you know, you know, we all talk about the Sean McVay coaching tree. And, but, and quite frankly, it's a very successful coaching tree. But you look at how those pictures look. There's not a lot of diversity there. Um, so we wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this because I, I I commend Brian Flores. I mean, if if what he's alleging is true, um, this is a a massive problem in the league. So not just the hiring practices. He he is alleging that the Miami Dolphins paid him an incentive to lose games, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I you're 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 for him to get a job, he's got to win games. So for the owner of the Miami Dolphins allegedly to tell the coach, I'll pay you $100,000 per loss. Okay, so let's just say they, they lose 10 games, and that's like a million dollars. You're not going to get another head coaching job if you've lost 10 games. And so, I don't know, there's a lot here. Uh, we're going to be talking about it a ton as this lawsuit progresses. Um but there's this is something that we've been talking about for a long, long time, and the, the there's there's just not an opportunity and a pipeline for so many of these amazing assistant coaches, coordinators, whatnot, to get head coaching jobs. But uh, let's start with Gia. Gia, your thoughts on the Brian Flores lawsuit? Yeah, I mean, I I think that he's taking a huge risk, obviously, and he he knows that Brian Flores knows that he's taking a huge risk in. Um, and suing these teams or and suing the NFL uh, because of this, but he's not, he's not within his, he's not wrong um, to do this. Also, I think that change will happen um, with people like Brian Flores, but change will also happen once um, that corporate veil is, is pierced, right? Once we get um, black owners into the NFL, uh, once we get diversity on that front as well, there's a lot of people saying that, you know, it, I, I want to hire somebody that looks like me, that has the same mentality as me, that has, you know, same upbringing, et cetera, that I can kind of relate to. And, you know, white owners can't really relate to black owners. And I think that once we can pierce that veil of, hey, let's get some black owners in there. Let's get people that, you know, look pretty much like the league because it's over 70% of players in the league are of black descent. <laughs> like it, so it stems to reason that there should be somebody that looks like them and is in the locker room just like them uh, that can relate to these guys as well. So, and probably make them play even better than they already can. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot more um, black coaching, black staff, black, um, more diversity, um, maybe hopefully, I mean, and this stems across the board. I think that, I think that there should be diversity across the board. If you're great for the job, if you're good for the job, I've said this before, it doesn't matter if you're black, blue or purple. I think that if you're good at what you do, you should be able to be in this league. And Brian Flores has, has made that come to fruition, right? He's made, he's made that, he made a team that was 
pretty much having a losing season, have a winning season and good for him for doing that and good for him for doing what he's doing right now to create a little bit more diversity and to help out. Um, this is kind of like a, he's the sacrificial lamb, unfortunately, yeah. in my opinion. But I mean, kudos for him for doing it. Uh, and real quick, G, before we go to break, I don't know if you knew this. This is the 14 year anniversary today, 14 years ago. Eli Manning hit David Tyree to spoil the New England Patriots perfect season. Quick thought. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? I, w- I wish that the Giants were celebrating their 14th year of this win with a Super Bowl matchup. But <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll take the wins wherever I can get them. It was incredible. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was on top of a bar dancing when that happened. So uh, th- that was an amazing, amazing game to watch. Amazing catch to watch as well. I love that. Uh, all right, GA. I mean, we have so much to get into. I am in Las Vegas. You get the Pro Bowl here. The NHL All-Star Game is here. A huge All-Star Weekend here in Las Vegas. But we are all talking about the Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Rams are going to the Super Bowl. And when we come back, we will be hearing from Los Angeles Rams Chief Operating Officer Kevin Demoff. He's been a big part of this team since they came back to Los Angeles. So we'll hear from Kevin when we come back right here on the Mightier 1090. ESPN Radio in Southern California and The Fan in Las Vegas. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. And now a word from our newest sponsor, NordVPN. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe. That's B-L-E-A-V to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Do it now. And now... Let's go back to the show. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5, the fan in Las Vegas. Again, we are... A little over one week away from Super Bowl 56 happening in SoFi Stadium. And the Los Angeles Rams are going back to the Super Bowl. They are going to be playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium. And the man who loves it more than just about anyone else in town is Los Angeles Rams COO Kevin Demoff, who was a big part of the team coming back to Los Angeles, a big part of uh, the building of SoFi Stadium. And, uh, like, again, no one's more thrilled than Kevin that the Rams are not only going to the Super Bowl, but that game is going to be happening at SoFi Stadium. So let's now hear from Kevin Demoff. Um, okay. So can you just give us a, um, an update on where you guys are at so far? And I'm wondering if you can anecdotally characterize uh, the escalating discussions between you, yourself and y- y- y'all in the league this week. How long is this uh, Zoom scheduled for? Let's just keep it rolling as long as it needs, right? A couple, couple hours. You got um, time now, right? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, first and foremost, I mean, you know, we continue to, to test our players to, to figure out uh, how many positive, as you saw, we added some names to, to the list today. Um, fingers crossed. We hope to get some more back um, today, tomorrow, and in the coming days. So it's a, a fluid process. I would say, you know, 
from a perspective of conversations with the league, we really started Wednesday morning. Um, you know, once we had the, I believe the nine positive tests on Tuesday, uh, and, you know, the idea that more were coming, you know, after that, we, we approached the league, you know, just to try to understand what the, you know, what the process would look like, um, from a testing protocol standpoint, from the potential to move the game, uh, knowing that this year was a little bit different than last year, uh, but also knowing that all of our cases at the time were fully vaccinated individuals, some who had had boosters. Uh, I, I want to give a ton of credit to you know, the commissioner, to Larry Ferrizani uh, at NFL Management Council, to Donna Ponte and the league office, to Dave Gardy. Um, the process wasn't always easy, uh, but I felt like they looked out for the players' best interest, the team's best interest, the league's best interest at all times. And, you know, this is a very complicated, fluid situation. I don't think anybody ever expected to be looking at close to 30 vaccinated players on the COVID list at the same time when, you know, trying to, to play a game. And I think if you go back to last year, uh, it's probably, you know, certainly more than double, close to triple some of the numbers that the league had a year ago when, when games were, were postponed. Uh, you know, obviously, the, I think the union deserves a ton of credit here to our players. Um, coaches, everybody kind of chipped in to try to get the best understanding of, you know, could the game be played safely on Sunday? That was always the first question. I think that was everybody's goal. And then once it became clear that it probably couldn't be played safely on Sunday, what were the alternatives? Uh, and obviously, it's not just us, right? It, it affects the Seattle Seahawks. Um, grateful to them for their communication throughout the week with the league and, you know, their ability to move. Clearly, you have Cleveland and Washington in very similar situations as us. Uh, so then you had Philadelphia and Las Vegas in the same discussions. And then, you know, you have a whole host of teams that play next week. Every schedule change has a domino effect on, you know, all 32 teams at some point. Uh, and so balancing that, really going through, uh, Dr. Sills with the NFL did an amazing job communicating with Reggie and our team. Uh, not only about what our players are going through, but what we could expect to see in the coming days. And, and I, I think it was an effort by all to adapt to what has been a rapidly changing, you know, situation. I mean, a week ago at this time, we hadn't had a positive test all year. <laughs> and here we sit with nearly a third, you know, more than a third of our roster and practice squad testing positive. Uh, it happened quick. Um, it happened fast. I think we're seeing that is reflective of what's happening with Omicron throughout the country uh, right now. I think most importantly, we're very lucky that, you know, our players are showing, you know, mild symptoms at most and, and most are asymptomatic that, you know, obviously that's our first worry, you know, as we go through this, but, and maybe we're starting to get closer uh, to the other side, but I, there was uh, there was so much coordination, so many moving pieces, and I'm grateful we got to a place where we think we can play safely Tuesday night at SoFi Stadium. And uh, just a quick follow-up from me. Um, we have received part of your latest uh, transactions and designations to the COVID list. Um, still waiting for an update on your coaching staff uh, and whether any of them have also been affected and then whether you guys have gotten updates on the genomic sequencing that the league is doing. 
I think to answer the last question, we haven't gotten updated on the genomic sequencing that the league is doing. Uh, I think we'd all be very surprised uh, if it didn't come back. This was, was Omicron, just given how quickly it spread. Um, and that, you know, as a fully vaccinated team, you know, we had, you know, not had any issues with any of the previous variants to date. Um, but that that's for virologists and public health officials to, to look at. We have had other members of our organization test positive. Um, you know, over over the past week. Um, thankfully, they're all, you know, feeling mild symptoms or better. So, you know, as it comes to game day, we'll know more about who can participate and who can't. Obviously, they're, they're the same protocols, uh, trying to clear them out um, so that they can participate. But obviously, if there need to be adjustments made, uh, either on the coaching staff or the football operations staff, um, we'll work around it. If, you know, if Les can do the draft from his garage, um, on draft day with COVID, then we can figure out some of these other challenges. Uh, hi, Kevin. Um, when we talk about uh, playing the game safely or more safely on Tuesday, are we talking about um, had less of a chance of uh, transmitting the virus among players or what? And, and I guess I'm wondering um, what how much of a difference or why, why is it thought that 48 hours or more, 40, 50 hours would, would make a significant difference in that regard? Well, I think there are a couple of things as it relates to that, Kevin. The first is you have to back up from game time to decide, can you actually practice? Can you get together as a team? Can you get treatment? And the later you play, the more time the players can spend in isolation away from each other. Um, so that's first and foremost, I think, from our perspective is – not having to be faced with the choice of do you practice, do you try to do a walkthrough, you know, outside, or do you keep the players away and just show up on, on Sunday and play? And so obviously the farther we get away from, you know, the players have not been together since they landed back in Los Angeles after the game Monday night. So, you know, the longer you can delay them coming back into to contact with one another, the better, the lesser chance you have of, of spread. And while our numbers are, you know, still have players testing positive today, it appears it's less than each of the past few days. Um, and so hopefully, fingers crossed, that trend continues to go in the right direction. Uh, second, you know, you have uh, players, hopefully, you know, those who are on the field participating, I think you'll, you know, you'll be more than a week out probably from their exposure to people. So you'd be pretty safe you know, from a testing perspective, hopefully that they are negative. Um, so they're not spreading it to other players. And I think, you know, at least one of the good fingers crossed things about what we've seen in the NFL over the last two years, are, I don't believe there have been any cases of on-field transmission or spread. Um, we haven't seen that, thankfully, even from, you know, I don't believe from our game against Arizona, um, either from the others. And, and as we know now, we have plenty of players who are positive at the time of, of that game. Uh, second, it gets into, you know, the health and safety of having enough bodies to be able to play, you know, and, you know, certainly – you know, you need at least 22 players who can play, but then you need special teams. And the more reps that – the further you deplete the roster, the more reps everybody has to take, you know, the greater chance there is of injury in the game, especially when they haven't had any practice time. And then I think the third point you get to is, you know, we'll be counting on, just as we did Monday night, uh, guys who may not have played much this year, getting their first taste of action or, you know, who haven't had a chance to play a lot of snaps and getting them more time potentially to protect practice – and work with one another, hopefully will increase their opportunity to be successful and reduce the chance of injury, you know, that they may face. So I think it's really threefold. It's keeping players away, 
um, giving players more time to recover. And, and then most importantly, I think for, for the new guys who are healthy, giving them the chance to properly train, prepare, you know, for an NFL game. Uh, I, I think the combination of those three, lead, you know, and certainly in the eyes of Dr. Sills and, and the union's doctors, I think everybody agreed that, you know, the safety of this game would be far better on a Tuesday uh, than on a Sunday. Yeah. And then just one more from me. I was widely assumed the NFL was against postponing or let alone canceling games and that, uh, that this wouldn't happen in your two or three days of talking with them. Was there a point where the tone changed, the, the possibility changed and what, what was it that changed it? Sheer numbers or. I think, you know, I, I can't speak for the NFL when, you know, in their minds and what changed. I think they were always looking for, I think everybody's goal is if you can play this game safely on Sunday, play it on Sunday. It has the least impact to the schedule, to the fans, to the teams, to everybody. I think you try to push that as far as you can. I, I think what changed, and really for the first time all year, you have, I believe, 150 players in the league who have tested positive, you know, for COVID this week. Uh, I think is, you know, the commissioner said in his notes, everybody, you know, this week, like Omicron and, you know, this rapid infections of people, especially those of vaccinated people, you know, have to change your thinking about where the world's at. And, you know, I think that's not only true of the NFL, but everywhere. We have to be adaptive to to changes. I think we all hoped at this point, you know, 18, 20 months in that we were past, you know, games being canceled, delayed, postponed, these kind of infections. It's clear, you know, that that's just not the case. Um, and, you know, so, you know, we have to get back to the mindset that everything has to be on the table to change, that the safe health and safety of our players, our coaches, our staff, our fans, the game operations people, the people on this Zoom are all, we're all the first priority. And I, I think, you know, if anything over the week, I was truly impressed by, you know, both the league and the union's commitment to making sure everybody was protected. That doesn't mean immediately everybody embraced the idea that this was the only option. Um, but I think as it became clear that, you know, this was the best option for, for each of the three teams in, in the NFL. Um, I was truly grateful at the teamwork to make it happen. Kevin, are you able to say how many non-players um, in the organization have tested positive if you don't have an exact number, an approximate number? Uh, I wouldn't give an exact number, approximate. It's, you know, a handful. Um, is you know, certainly it is not at the levels you've seen uh, with players, but there, you know, there are certainly a number of people who have, who have tested positive. Got it. Thank you. Kevin, do you anticipate enough guys coming back in time for the team to potentially hold a practice or two this weekend, or is the focus going to be more on uh, trying to keep guys isolated and try to mitigate spread as much as possible this weekend? You know, I think first, the first goal, Stu, is what you said, to isolate guys and to keep the spread and to keep the guys healthy and the ones who haven't tested positive to make sure that but they stay positive. So, you know, you get me instead of Sean today because he's now game planning, um, knowing what time you know the game's at. Uh, I think they'll continue to do that. You know, we'll treat this like a short week, um, like we would probably a Thursday night with, you know, maybe some walkthroughs, you know, later in the week, um, maybe a practice if we can hold it. But, you know, we won't do that unless Reggie and, and Dr. Sills and all the NFL experts believe it's safe for us to practice. You know, thankfully, you know, we can be outside. We, we have looked at, you know, reactivating, obviously the NFL is now, you know, last year's protocols through this weekend. Um, 
we have the tent still up, we can, you know, revert quickly back to the outdoor weight room, to the outdoor tents uh, to do some of those things. But I think the goal would be get the game plan in, you know, get as many guys to practice. But I also think the coaching staff wants to try to practice with the guys they think will play. Um, and so, you know, if there's a chance to do that, you know, be that Sunday, you know, tomorrow, Sunday, my hunches, you know, we'll go that route. I think to your other question, anticipating guys getting back, you know, we are looking at all the data of every test that our players have taken this week to try to understand, you know, CT levels, you know, at 35, we now have the magic number from the NFL and, you know, how quickly guys are testing out. We're fortunate to have a few who are, you know, ready to come back um, today or tomorrow, you know, and we're studying their trajectory over the past week to see what we could expect for other players, right? Just looking at their numbers of where they're testing, you know, how quickly they can get back, you know, some of the guys who, who first were infected are going to be probably the first to come off uh, the list, but we have some others who are making rapid progress. And then, you know, you have someone like Tyler Higby, uh, who's had a roller coaster week of, you know, false positive, followed by a bunch of negatives, by a positive again. I think, you know, we're trying to understand how this variant that is going through our team affects people, how quickly they're coming back from it. You know, the good news is most are asymptomatic. And so it's just a matter of meeting the, you know, the numbers or the negative tests more than it is feeling better. We still have a few who have, you know, mild symptoms. Uh, although I think all of those probably would play, you know, in any normal week if this wasn't a COVID issue. So, you know, a lot of work being done by our team to better understand uh, the data and where we go from there. And uh, circling back to, I think Jordan asked, um, has Sean McVay or any of the coaches tested positive? And if so, who? Uh, I wouldn't answer that um, to, to protect them, but uh, we will see, obviously, I think by Tuesday, artists can correct me if I'm wrong. Tuesday, we would have to announce who will be on the sidelines and who won't. Um, so, so we'll do that in, you know, in due time. And, you know, we always, starting with last year, we have uh, contingency plans for, for each position, for play callers, um, you know, for, for head coaches. Uh, so, you know, if we have to enact those, you know, we'll, we'll roll down that road. But so did you say that there are coaches that have tested positive and you're just not going to identify them? I, I said, I believe I said that I wouldn't say whether coaches had tested positive, but yeah, if there are coaches who are unavailable on, on Tuesday, we'll let you know on Tuesday. And then um, in terms of the Rams specifically, maybe this is something the league's doing or not, but I know our, our uh, medical writers wanted me to ask specifically if, uh, if you guys are, if there's a sequencing of samples uh, to determine if you guys are dealing with Omicron, Delta, or something else, uh, if you guys are doing that and what the results have been. Uh, I, so I think that question, all of our results go to bioreference in the lab. I think from there, the NFL, you know, sequences them and looks at them to see what variant uh, it could be. I don't quote me for sure on that, but I, you know, I think they're trying to understand what it is. Our assumption, just given um, how potent this has been, is that it's Omicron. You know, we have a fully vaccinated team. Um, we have people, players, coaches, staff with boosters who have tested positive. And I think without getting too far ahead, if you put two and two together, you, you wind up with Omicron. I don't know if that's how the math works in Greece, but it seems to be what has happened here. 
Yeah, I just want to circle back to Tyler Higby's situation. Um, I'm wondering if you could expand kind of what your understanding of what happened with him was and uh, whether you, that was uh, how that's being explained to you guys, whether that was a testing issue or whether that was just things that you still don't know about what this is. Well, I think, you know, in Tyler's specific case, uh, he was tested on Monday as a high risk, close contact um, of Rob Havenstein. So he was into the five day testing protocol for high risk, close contacts. Um, his initial Mesa test on Monday came back positive. His next two reruns of his Mesa test came back negative. Um, typically, that indicates that the player is negative. Um, however, he also took a PCR test, um, which is what the league would use to confirm that the first one was a false positive, given that it was a game day that couldn't be read until the following night. Um, and the league doesn't, you know, most of the times when you play, you don't test on Sundays. Um, if you play on Mondays, you test your PCR results. all come back after the game. Hence why we had nine guys kind of pop Tuesday that played Monday because they were all negative as of Monday. Um, in Tyler's case, we didn't get those results back in time. So out of an abundance of caution, he's held out of the game. Uh, even though we believed it to be a, a false positive, the league and the league did, we needed the PCR to clear him. On Tuesday, uh, the PCR came back negative. Um, Tyler since tested negative each day until today. Um, but we, you know, I will say over the past week, we have had a number of players who have had irregularities in their sequencing, positive, negative, positive, Mesa tests, PCR tests. Um, I believe, and again, this is for Gary's medical writers and Reggie, uh, that has to do with the viral load more than, you know, where they're at and probably, you know, right above or below the line. Um, so some days they could be, you know, below it and negative. The next day they could be positive. All right. That was Kevin Demoff, COO, Los Angeles Rams, talking about the Rams going back to the Super Bowl. The game is happening at SoFi Stadium. Love the fact that the Rams are wearing their modern throwbacks. These are the, the jerseys that the fans love the most. They love the classic jerseys here. So, um, you know, we'll really certainly have a home game feel for the Rams. They, they will be practicing all week leading up to the Super Bowl at their facility. They're going to have a very small media day the Friday before the Super Bowl. That is the only in-person availability that, that, that they're going to have, sleeping in their own home beds. It's really going to feel like a true home game for the Los Angeles Rams. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to get in on a Tuesday. So just looking forward to the beginning of of Super Bowl week here in Los Angeles, the first one that we've had here in 30 years. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe, stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.